Welcome to Women Under the Sun on the Business Radio X Network, where you'll meet extraordinary women with incredible stories in both life and business. And now, Kim Adair and Mark Bishop. And welcome, everybody, again to another exciting episode of Women Under the Sun with my co-host, Kim Adair. Hi, Kim. Hi. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you, Mark. That's great. Our wonderful guest today, mate, survivor, lupus, cancer, and add to that, a Ted Bundy attack. Oh, my God. What else could there be? Welcome, Kathy Kleiner. Kathy. Thank you very much. Hi. So great to have you. I'm so excited to have you as a guest on our show. So we're so pleased to have you. Thank you for inviting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So... We're pleased to have you on the show, but you know, your story is such a one of guts and determination, and I'm sure our listeners will be fascinated on how on earth you survived. Can we start with your childhood? What was it like? What was it like for you? Well, I appreciate y'all inviting me to come on and tell my story. I was born in Miami. Um, I lived there for uh, up to five years. Mm-hmm. My dad died when I was five. And I remember there's bits and pieces in my memory of him. Um, we had an old little old house and terrazzo flooring. And I remember bare feet and running around the floor and looking out the window. Because every mm. evening my daddy would come home and uh, we'd play chess, uh, Chinese checkers together. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a good time and, and the highlight of my day. And mm-hmm. one day I'd look out the window and I'd look and daddy never came home. And we went to bed and had had dinner, and then we went to bed. And the next afternoon, I'm looking out the window, and Daddy doesn't come home. Mm. And my mom comes over, and with everything she's going through, my Daddy had passed away. And Mom was trying to explain it to me that um, Daddy wasn't going to come home and play Chinese checkers anymore. So that changed that changed our life completely because now it was just my brother, my sister, my mom and I, and this had to become our new normal. This is what life was going to be like now. And, um, I guess that first time I learned that, you know, you can't change things. You have to, this is what we're doing now. Um, so when my mama remarried, I was adopted by my father-in-law. I mean, I'm sorry. When my mother remarried, I was adopted by my stepfather, who was wonderful. Big, cute, big guy. He was uh, Russian and German. And my mama and I, well, we're all Spanish, so we're short. <laughs> and my stepfather was huge, and he was just big arms that wrapped around me. And mm-hmm. he was the only daddy I remembered from um, from then on. He was He was my papa. Well, things got better. You attended Florida State University. What was that like? What were those earlier years like for you? I had so much fun going to FSU. Actually, after high school, I chose to go to Florida State. Friends from our high school were going all over, you know, different colleges within Florida. But I chose FSU um, mainly because it was as far away from Miami as I could get, which is where mama was, mm-hmm. and still get in state tuition. But it was great. When I went in the fall, several of my friends also went to FSU. Kathy, you were only yes. 13 when you were diagnosed with systematic lupus. Now, the correct pronunciation for this thing is what? Erythematosus? It's systemic lupus erythematosus. Right. It's a serious form of lupus that attacks the body's organs. And in your case, it was your kidney, right? What, what did your yes, what did your treatment consist of? I was um, I was pretty sick when they diagnosed me with the, the lupus. Back then, they didn't have a lot of um, information on the disease as far as how to how to work with it and the doctors and the medical team. Mm -hmm. Since I was 13, they had no history of younger kids having it. So I was kind of in the hospital for three months after I was sick and they knew something was wrong. I was given um, experimental chemo and the Mm -hmm. lupus itself had actually settled in my kidneys. 
and it was so bad that they were going to take one of my kidneys out. And wow. um, so while I was in the hospital those three months, Mama and Daddy or my sister, everyone, someone was always with me in the hospital. I was, um, I was going to have surgery the next morning, and my family, who is from Cuba um, and all spoke Spanish, had a prayer session in my room, oh, wow. and they spoke in tongues, and they held on to me, and I laid there, and I tried, tried to absorb everything. I couldn't follow the language, but I knew, I knew the feeling was in the room, and it was beautiful. Wow. They left for the evening, and then I went to sleep, and early the next morning, the nurses came in to start prepping me for surgery. And I started fussing, and I'm pushing them away and telling them not to touch me, which is totally out of character. I was so docile before. And Mom and Daddy are standing there, and, um, you know, I said, I don't need the surgery. So they ended up taking um, some tests, and my kidney was absolutely healed. It was working correct. Wow, wow. how about that and for Mary it, straight off the bat? It, oh, it was. It truly was. That- and... Yeah, that's 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 just amazing, Kathy, that you'd even have to go through that, but then to have something where you feel like you turned around on it. But let's let's talk about you know, how tough those early years were due to the fact you weren't allowed to be normal. No sunlight, no school gym, you were in the hospital bed all the yeah. time, right? Um but you they gave Yeah. And then I was gonna say, elaborate a little bit that you it you actually took up theater as an escape. So, you know, go from there. Tell us yes, about that. It was um, in uh, my seventh grade after I left the hospital, um, I lost all my hair and they told my parents I probably wouldn't live the year because they still weren't sure what I had or how to treat it. And um, now we know there's no cure for lupus. So at that time it was, totally um undiagnosed and and Mm -hmm. medication that could be used so seventh grade i was homebound the chemo left me with no hair i couldn't leave the house i would only look at my friends playing and i'd sit in the house didn't even have the energy i'd sleep all day in bed and i had a homebound teacher but i remember when i started feeling good i would go to the phone and dial zero for the operator and all I did was want to talk to somebody and a lot of times they would talk to me and then other times you know they said they were busy um so this year seemed seventh grade seemed like it lasted forever I then became healthy enough uh to attend high school yeah which I went to Fort Lauderdale High and because I had limitations I wasn't supposed to go out in the sun and Mama used to follow me with an umbrella <laughs> behind us when I went out with my friend. She's oh following behind us. What a sight that but, would have been, um, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but at this point, Mama's been through a lot. It's like, okay, Mom, keep up with us. <laughs> yeah. So um, when I went to high school, I joined theater. It was one of my electives um, that I could take. Oh, my gosh. It was the best. Thing I had ever done. Well, it sort of amazes me, quite frankly, but the the sickness that you had, the illness that you went through, the stuff you've been taking, uh, losing your hair, God knows what, but to find the energy to do that. Now, folks, you're listening to Women Under the Sun. There's stories about fascinating women who have been through unbelievable scenarios and situations in their lives, have come out the other end and have done something wonderful with their life against all odds. And we're lucky today, we're speaking with Kathy Clymer. A lot of people who could be listening to this maybe have been, had lupus. My mother-in-law had lupus. Nasty thing. And, of course, you know, is life all over? No. Kathy Clymer got up, and you got to go to university. Right, Kathy? Yes. Yes, I did. When I was in high school in theater, it was the best time of my life, I thought, because I had not gone to college and really enjoyed. But as I was in there... I could act and and be anyone I wanted to be. I could crawl out of my skin, and I was no longer that sick little kid that was laying at home with no hair. And I loved that freedom it gave me. So I met some great friends in high school, and a lot of us went to FSU, and 
and um, that was the beginning of my new life. That was going to be my new normal now. Right. And when that was when was that, Kim? That's back in what? The fall of 76? That was fall of 77, yeah. correct? No, it was um, the fall of 1976. Oh, okay. And that's when, gotcha. I, yeah, that was when I was a freshman. And then from there, um, things were looking up, but in reality and ironically, your parents thought you'd be safer at the sorority than the dorm. And then, excuse me, in the dorm, right? <laughs> so, yes, it's um, the right? dormitory I actually had to go into, my parents insisted, was an all-women's dorm. And our mm. friends were all in co-ed. So I remember uh, we were on the third floor. I lived on the third floor of the dorm, and there were no men allowed at all. I remember yeah. there were panty raids on floor one and two, and we were so excited. My friends and I would throw our panties down the stairwell <laughs> and go, oh, panty raid. Oh my <laughs> but that was one of, you know, things like that you remember um, as great times and just the freedom of walking around campus and meeting friends. And it was a wonderful time. Wonderful. Um, and in the f- that fall, a couple of months after school started, I actually went through pledge at FSU. Okay. And pledge is a time when women, freshmen usually, young women, want to join a sorority, but they Mm want to know which one to go into, and the sorority wants to know who you are before they invite you to join them. So pledge, you go through a week, and you see sororities, and they ask you back, or you want to go see them back. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the week, you are matched with a sorority. And in my case, it was uh, Chi Omega. Okay. One of the things that I didn't know was one of the wonderful friends I met in theater was a Chi O. So when I was going through Rush and everything, she gave uh, a good recommendation for me. And that's how one of the reasons I got into the Chi Omega sorority. Right. But, but um, so, you, so you go to the dorm, you're in the dorm, and then it turns out that safety really kind of goes out the door because you're not you, you you ended up not being safe so would you kind of can we just roll right into the night of the uh Bund- Bund- bundy attack it's hard to yes. say um, it's so frightening i i will do my best um <laughs> at the uh, end of my freshman year my parents did think it was a lot safer for me to live in the sorority house than in the dormitory where it wasn't secure with um, with locks and, and supervision. So they made arrangements. So in January, I'm sorry, in the fall of 1977, mm-hmm. I was to move into the dorm. I mean, in the fall of 1977, I was to move into the Chi Omega house. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the angst my parents must have gone through putting me in the sorority house when they thought it was the safest place I could be. Right, um, right. Well, it came up to January of 1978. It was cold that January. I remember we always had a fire roaring in the in the rec room in the sorority house, and it was a beautiful home. Uh, it was just great to be there and lots of friends. And the Saturday, the 14th, I went to a wedding that afternoon some friends at a little church that I belonged to and the wedding was at noon and the reception was outside in the grass and I got ready to go to the church and it was cold and misty and real over hazy and it was a terrible day and I just said God please this isn't fair for this young couple to have a rainy wet reception outside and that's all I thought about it the wedding was wonderful. And afterwards, we went outside, and it was sunny. It was so cold, but it was sunny and beautiful and had a wonderful reception. After that, some friends who did attend the wedding and I decided to go out and go watch a movie. Mm-hmm. My sorority was maybe a block and a half away from my little church. Mm-hmm. So um, I walked to the sorority house. And I opened the big double doors, and right there in the foyer were several of my sorority sisters. And they're all talking a mile a minute and saying what they had done and where they had gone shopping and what they were going to do. And I was, you know, standing there telling them everything I had done and everything. And slowly everyone kind of walked away, walked up to the sorority house. 
And I opened the front doors, and there were sorority sisters standing there just talking about what they had done during the day and what they were going to do that night. So we stood there a few minutes, and then I decided to go upstairs to change so I could go out to the movie. Mm. My bedroom was up on the second floor of the sorority house. It also faced the back of the sorority house, which was the parking lot. And when you went up into our room, you opened the door, and parallel to each other on the wall was first our closet, and then next to that was our dresser, and a couple feet from that our desk, and a couple feet from that was the footboard of my twin bed. When you looked in the room, there was a bank of windows in the back wall. It was beautiful, and we always had our curtains open. We had plants hanging from the curtain rods. Mm -hmm. So this is January 15th, 1978, correct? Yes, this is going into January 15th. I decided to stay home. Okay. So what happened? You walked into your room, and what happened from there? Okay, I um, went, decided to go home and stay home and study for a test, and so did my roommate. So we snuggled up in our beds, and we both were studying. Around 11.30, we decided to uh, go to bed for the night, so we turned off the light. Mm-hmm. I put my glasses and a couple little things on the little foot locker that was between our twin beds. There right. must have been maybe four feet between each bed. So we went to sleep. And real early in the morning, it was still dark out. I don't, I don't, didn't even know what time it was. I heard our bedroom door open and slide against the carpet, and it hit the, it hit the closet. So I'm laying there, and I wake up a little bit, and I'm squinting, and I can see the shadow of something moving closer to me from, from the door. And I'm looking and squinting, and it is a sweat of something really dark. And as I'm looking, still trying to wake up, I excuse me. I saw this shadow lift his arm up over his head, and he slammed it down on my face. And he had something in his hand that struck me so hard, it broke my jaw in three places. Oh, it cut my same. cheek open right. from my lips to my ear. I almost bit my tongue. And off, my tongue was was severely beaten. I'm sorry. And it also gave me lacerations on my shoulder because when he hit me so hard, it just um, who did this to you? Who did this to you? We didn't. We didn't know at that point. And the thing is, that first blow, it didn't hurt. It felt like a thud. It felt like a, a bag of potatoes. And at that point, I passed out. And this person, whom we didn't know yet, went next around and went to my roommate and mm-hmm. attacked her. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I'm waking up again, and he just turned around and was right by my bed again. And I'm scrunched in this little bitty ball right. waiting for the next blow. And I open my eyes, and all of a sudden, our room is lit up with this light. It was a bright light, and I'm looking squinted eyes, and this person is like darting back and back and forth like he was spooked and then he ran out the door and the dark room settled down and I was in this little ball cringing waiting for him to return right. and he never did he never came back wow, and hit Kathy. me again now this was an attack on four women and two of them were killed yes yes my, what two of my sorority sisters Margaret mm-hmm. Bowman and Lisa Levy, this person attacked both of them and killed them mm-hmm. before it came into our bedroom. Dear, oh dear, and he severely beat you, and it turned out that it, uh, he actually bludgeoned you with uh, with a big hunk of wood, I think, he picked up from the wood stack outside. Is that correct? Yes, when he came in the back door of the sorority mm-hmm. on the first floor, he picked up firewood that we had back there. So he had to come from the first floor up to our bedroom from the second floor. He beat Lisa and Margaret with that oak club. And when he attacked me, they knew what it was that attacked me because there was bark in my face and in my in my sheets and, and in blood. So that's how they confirmed that he did bring in the oak wood from outside. And ladies and gentlemen, we're talking about a he, and that particular he was one of the worst serial killers in the world and known throughout history. 
and I'm referring to Ted Bundy. He reportedly bludgeoned you, your roommates went on with that. You had severe injuries, Kathy. You survived that after everything else. Hey, Kim, youth, the lupus. Mm-hmm. Now this, right? Uh, how long were you in the hospital, Kathy? How long? I was in the hospital in Tallahassee for about a week. I was taken directly to the um, ER from my sorority house. When they brought me down on the stretcher, down those wooden staircase that was in the foyer, I remember it was cold out. It was so cold, and I was just Mm. so messed up in in not knowing anything. And I see these heads looking down at me, and I'm thinking, what are they looking at on the stretcher looking up? And then the lights from the sirens and the, the noise and the police cars' lights and the ambulance lights and everything was swirling. Wow. And as they carried me out, in my mind, that was at a carnival. And this carnival gave me some, some peace, wow. not knowing what happened. It just took me in a place and gave me some peace. And as they took me into the ambulance, I was taken to... Uh, Tallahassee Hospital, where when I looked up, I was so scared, and I looked up, and there was the beautiful face of my friend that had gotten married the day before. She was a nursing student and was working that night. So little things gave me peace as far as as scared and everything Mm -hmm. I was, and um, they took me directly into the OR. When I awoke, I was in my hospital room in Tallahassee for about a week. before I was released to go home to Miami and recuperate. Right. Well, I guess, you know, your trauma was not only physical, but it was psychological, right? I mean, um, obviously. It um, it gave me uh, just just scared. I was scared for myself. I was scared for my mom. Someone's going to come beat her. It just, it was so overwhelmingly confusing. Kathy, let me ask you this question. How did you address that with what Kim just brought up? How did you actually address that, the psychological uh, stress that that you went under with all of this? Well, I knew I wasn't going to stay stressed out and afraid of anything. Um, I think going through lupus and my daddy, I was going to now take control of things. So one of the things that did bother me, since I didn't know who came and attacked me that night, I became afraid of men. Men in general, men I didn't know. It was no just kidding. like yeah. I would just, you know, just not be comfortable around them and um, not feeling like this is the way I wanted to live. I ended up working at a lumber yard in Miami for a couple of weeks mm. because I figured where's the best place I'm going to see as many men I don't know as a lumber yard. So I did work the cashier and I saw a lot of guys. And then I figure I don't need to do this anymore. You know, right. <laughs> I'm over that fear. And I learned there's a lot of cute guys that go into lumber yards. <laughs> so it was kind of a perk. <laughs> you know, I yeah. had I had gotten fear away from me. And I also, you know, learned there's cute guys out there. So it was so, kind of a so good thing. So what you're saying, Kathy, is really that this is one of the ways that you coped. You coped with fear. Uh, you know, you did the thing with the lumberyard, which is most unusual, but full credit to you. And you were supported, were you not, during this time? Yes. My mama really didn't want me to be doing that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want you there. But she understood. I explained wow. to her, and she understood my reasoning. And she was there every afternoon to pick me up outside, <laughs> outside the store. So she oh. was doing her best as she could to take care of me right. and to help me proceed. Well, you know, it isn't it just it's not just that ordeal either, Kathy, right? Overcoming lupus. You know, you had a you had a short emotional marriage. Uh, you were robbed at gunpoint, surviving stage 2 breast cancer. I mean, how were you robbed at gunpoint? Share that story. I was working after I got married. Um, it was like maybe 6 months later, I was working at a bank in South Florida and it was a a small bank and we had like five or six women that uh, savings counselors and there were um, an older group of clientele that always came in and one day this cute young guy came into the lobby he looked around and then he left and all the tellers and everyone going god you see that guy he was so cute and he wasn't old you know so um, but we all thought it was weird that he didn't actually come and talk to anybody 
So about three days later, I was coming from lunch, and I was going to be the next sellable teller. So I opened my window, and I looked up, and he was the next client and customer standing there. I kind of glanced at the head teller, and she kind of looked at me, and so everyone kind of had a, a feeling something wasn't right. You know, mm. this guy just wasn't right. So as I looked at him, he put a little pouch on the windowsill, and he opened it up, and he had a gun in it. Wow. And at this point, I don't remember if he passed me a note or he said I'm being robbed, but I was like just in a, in a little place in my head. And I kept opening my money drawer and I thought, well, do I give them the ones or the twenties first? They never taught me that in teller school. Right. So I'm sitting there and I'm, um, I'm kind of, you know, freaking out. I'm freaking out, and then I'm looking at the lobby. He's looking toward me, which faced the back, which was the drive-through. Mm -hmm. The head teller called the police, and they had arrived driving through the back drive-through. Well, the cop, this guy sees the cop, and he grabs his stuff, and he starts running out the door. And I'm standing there going, yeah, yeah, you take it. I scared you away. Yeah, I'm a badass. <laughs> Oh, did I know there was a cop behind me in his car, oh, which no. was chasing him down. So um, the next day, I got up, I got dressed, and I went back to the to the bank for work. And I figured, where's this, this place I'm going to be today? Been in a bank with a bunch of cops walking around. Jeez. So um, ever since then, I, I worked at the bank for like another four years and loved it. Yeah, that must have been an amazing experience. Gosh. Well, I tell you what, I mean, Kim, now a robbery... Do you think that what you went through earlier, Kathy, that horrendous ordeal, uh, you know, in uh, in college, do you think that gave you any sort of extra, you know, control, strength, how you handled the bank scenario years later? I mean, a lot of a lot of women could have freaked out right there, you know, but you uh, yes. How did how did you how did you feel at that very moment, you know? moment with the gun I was scared to death and like I said I went in a little blob in my head going you know you're gonna be okay you're gonna be okay I just kept saying to myself and then when he ran and I just thought yes I did it I just felt I felt empowered I (laughs) I felt good about that that he ran away but um it was you know the things I've been through in life before that I knew I wasn't going to lay down and crawl in a circle or a box and hide because I didn't want to live my life that way. And um, everything I had been through, my family went with me and they took the journey that I was on. And I wanted to get better for them as well because being sick with lupus just really just was hard on my family. And I didn't want to give them any more angst or anything else to worry about me. And I think, that really helped me get through Bundy because I I knew I was going to be okay well, for them as well, that they didn't have to take care of me. You, I mean, I can't imagine going through that. You, I mean, but then followed by your stage two breast cancer. So wh- how was, how did you handle that? After the um, hospital, when I left, um, I'm sorry, after I left the bank and I worked to a hospital, I could not go into a hospital. I was so frightened mm-hmm. to get through the doors. I guess after waking up from Bundy, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to live my life not being able to go into the hospital. You know, I, I didn't want to do that. I faced everything. So I went to Human Resources and got a job in the hospital. And I ended up working there 18 years, and it was the best job I ever had. And I took that as, as confidence again, that I can do anything I can overcome. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was 32. I had no history of it in my family. So it was not anything um, any of us expected it at all. And that at my age, they, um, they diagnosed me. I had stage two breast cancer. I had a radical mastectomy. And my treatment was going to consist of chemotherapy. 
And I freaked out when the doctor said that because the chemo I had when I was 13 was so vicious on my body and just just a horrible memory. And, mm. you know, I said, no, anything but chemo. And I had to take it. And I was to take nine months of chemo. I went in the clinic my first session, and it was horrible. I sat there for hours and took the medication. And then I left, and they're, okay, honey, you have eight more. We'll see you next time. And I'm like, no, I have one more. Because all I got to do is go through one more. Mm-hmm. And the thought of taking eight more was more than I wanted to handle. So every chemo I had, I had one more to go. And that really helped me go through that time in my life that was so horrible. And um, so that was a bad time. That was a hard time, really hard, because um, I had my husband and I had decided to have a child. And the day I went to the GYN, I, um, I, they found the lump in my breast at that mm-hmm. time. And that's how it proceeded to, uh, to find out it was breast cancer and do all the, um, surgeries and chemo. Well, Kathy, you're doing a great job. Are you okay with all of this? You okay? I am okay. Thank you. I, you know, I heal a lot when I tell my story oh. because it's like a bit of me. It comes out and vividly I can see everything I'm doing and what I have done and it really helped heal me. So oh. I appreciate again that y'all let me tell my oh. story. That's all right. That's so all right, my dear. You with You're us. with Kim Adair and Mark Bishop and Women Under the Sun on Tucson Business Radio X, wherever you are in the world listening. We're speaking with Kathy Clymer. Talk about a woman that's been through everything, but it's not over yet. What do you, I hear you say? Surely to God there can't be any more. Well, tell us about the trial, please, Kathy. Tell us about seeing Bundy again sitting there right in front of you. What was that like? It was... It was, it was, I can't say anything but weird. It was worse than that. But um, about a year after the attack um, in January, in June of 79, they had Ted Bundy appearing in court. He was accused of um, attacking Margaret and Lisa and killing them and then uh, attempted suicide, uh, murder, I'm sorry, attempted murder on me and my roommate. So um, I was to be at the trial for my testimony that day. And I remember I woke up and wore a beautiful, bright red dress. And I wasn't hungry, but Mama said eat breakfast, so I did. I ate my breakfast. And the family, we went to the courthouse and went up and waited for it. My turn to be um, taken in. And as they opened the door, I was like just a fear, just in uh, enfolded me. I was just like Ugh. scared to death, but I did. I walked in yeah. and, um, I saw the jury box right next to me and they're all looking at me. And then I looked around and saw the defense table and I looked my eyes a little bit more. They crossed through. I saw the defense and right there was Ted Bundy. Wow. And he sat there very nonchalant, just looking at me with his, his chin in his hands, the way he sat. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him, and I had no idea what the questions were that the prosecutor asked me. And I answered them. I just, I was staring at Ted, at that evil, at that vile thing. I wasn't afraid of him coming to get me. I was afraid I wasn't going to go get him. I was, I had power now, and I felt wrong and I knew he was on that side of the table and it was my turn to talk to the defense lawyers asked me do you remember or was this the man you saw in your room that night that attacked you and as much as I wanted to help convict him and put him in prison Mm -hmm. I had to say I don't know because I never saw his face. And I remember that being so hard on me, even, I'm sorry, because I wanted to help some victims because he had hurt me and he hurt so many other women that he killed and he took away from this world so soon. Yes, your friends, your friends too, you know. My friend and the Mm -hmm. other women that he killed that Uh. just, they had dreams and lives and they should have lived as well. 
And this thing in front of me did it. And I just wanted to help convict him. But I didn't know who I saw, so I had to say that. You, you, Kathy, you had not even a glimpse. Nothing. There wasn't a shadow that vanished for a second off his face or any moonlight through the window or anything under the door, another light, nothing. You, you, you couldn't see his face at all, period, during that particular time. Yes. When he came in, it was very late and very dark. It was like 3 in the morning, I believe. And when he had, uh, when he came in, I couldn't focus my eyes, and he tripped over that little trunk that was between our beds, that little footlocker. And when he did that, I really woke up. And now I opened my eyes, but it was so dark, and he was so close to me, I couldn't see anything but a black blur. And when that light shone up into our bedroom and focused, and it just lit up the room, Mm-hmm. I was scrunched into the smallest little ball yes. I could be in and squinting my eyes really tight, waiting for the next blow. Oh I just opened my eyes a little bit, and that's when I saw moving around and running out the door. Okay. So, no, I never got to see his face. I mean, that's, never that, did. that's what you're saying is so, Kim, it's so hard to sit in court, you know, wanting to put this bastard away. Right. And... She can't honestly say from the heart that it was him. What do you do? It was right. It was hurtful. It was very hurtful. So, so how did they get him in reference to you? It was it hair, blood samples, what? He, um, Ted Bundy, left us in Tallahassee and went down to Lake City and killed and attacked um, a little girl, Kimberly Leach. He was then leaving the state of Florida. He was driving through Pensacola, okay. and he had uh, he was he had a stolen vehicle, and the police stopped him oh. to uh, to check him on that. And when they did, they found he had several credit cards from Tallahassee that he had stolen. So they took him back to Tallahassee. They didn't know who he was back then in '78. They didn't have the uh, communication uh, with the um, different police districts. Right. So it took them a while to figure it out was Ted Bundy. And um, while they were doing their investigation and, and working with uh, the people, the police in Seattle, that's how they narrowed it down to decide that it was Ted Bundy um, that had attacked us. Yeah, just crazy. Crazy that he, you know, did what he did. And I'm actually from Washington State and um, w- was aware of, of um you know our own just our own area but to, to just to have him just out sporadically i think he hopped on a plane right and a train and a bus if i remember yes. right yes um, to get to tallahassee and yep s- and stole the vehicle on the way as well so yeah it's just it's just uh, just an extraordinary story that you know this this happened to you out of all the thousands of women just even in the area that it could have happened to. Why did he pick that building? Was it because he knew the sorority, uh, uh, Kathy? What came out in the trial? They um, they said that there was a little bar, right, a couple, uh, maybe a house away from the sorority house, and its mm-hmm. name was Sherrard. And it was a little, you know, college hangout. Bundy had been there that evening trying to pick up women to mm-hmm. dance, to do something with, and everyone was, like, really thought he was weird because he was in his early 30s i mean everyone at the club was like you know 19 20 21 so no no one wanted to dance with him or anything (laughs) and when he left when he left that bar he followed two of my sorority sisters to the back of the other houses and watched them walk into sorority's Uh, back door and that's when he picked up the piece of firewood and followed them into the house oh my god i mean and talk about you know, misspelled or misspent guts, but how did he not know you walk into a sorority building, others aren't going to see him? You know, there are lights on, even if it's three in the morning. I mean, did the, the game... Was just, yeah, yeah. What, what, tell us about this, the faulty security. When Bundy went to our back door and he saw the girls walking in first, our back door lock was broken. It was a combination lock. And you didn't have to do any combination. All you did was turn the doorknob and go right in. 
and Bundy kind of noticed, I guess he was very, um, very good at what he did of stalking and, and yeah. he noticed that the door just turned the knob and went in and he just picked up the firewood and walked all in and at three in the morning, there are women out and about, but none of them passed him. None of them were in front of him or saw him or anything. And he just went up the stairwell and went and attacked Margaret first and then Lisa mm. and then came into our room. You'd never seen him before. You'd never offended him. You you didn't reject him in the bar at any time before for a dance or anything. I mean, to randomly pick you, a helpless young female asleep in her bed. Uh, I don't think it could be any sicker than that, Kim, do you? I No, I, um, I actually visualize it. You know. It's horrible. And when she says, Kathy says, you know, it's so dark, I can't see a thing. But when I sort of squinted my eyes and opened up and I see this this big black shadow coming at me with this thing with the arm raised, how do you get on years later, Kathy, going to bed at night? Did, did you have to go through a lot of therapy to to be able to remove this uh, from your mind? Um, actually, I never went through therapy. Um, my mom was Cuban, and... I don't know. In the culture, you don't go to therapy. You work it out. It's just something. You, mm. It's just something she never offered, and I never thought because you know. What do I think about my mom saying no? I don't have to go. Mm -hmm. um, so I never went to therapy, and maybe I should have. But I just feel what I did. I had the reasons why I wanted to get better and why I wanted to push through something that was bothering me, and that's why I think I went to the lumber yard in the hospital because right. no one told me to do it. I just I just knew I had to. I wanted to get better. It was your therapy. That's yeah. it. That's what you say. I think I remember in some of the uh, research we were doing on the story uh, how you refused basically to lie down. You know, you, you were going to, no matter what, uh, looked inside yourself, uh, you looked deep into your soul, uh, you found your strength no matter what, and you just... You just pulled it up and used it for support when you needed it. I mean, that's, that is amazing, Kathy Kleiner. I admire you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And, and I get a lot, of, a lot of young women or people talk to me and say, oh, I could never be as strong, and, and everyone can do it. If I find that I could look down and see my strength, and when I pulled it up, no one was going to take that away from me. Right. Right. I leaned on that so much. And when I didn't think I could do something, I just wrapped my arms around my strength, and that kept me going. And everyone, no matter what they're going through, I feel, can can help themselves by relying on what they have inside of them, that they can keep going. Sometimes when people aren't around you, uh, there's no one around you. You feel like you have no one around you. There's no support for you. Um, a lot of, a lot of women and men, but you know, I think men, women are kind of queens of it is to, um, to go inward and do what you did, although you don't know until you go through the process. Correct. I mean, did you really yes. think you'd ever be able to survive all of this mentally, spiritually? Um, that's a good question. Um, one of my friends memories um when i got home from tallahassee is i had this it, in my head it was just like a big black ball of, of uh smoke and ugliness and mm -hmm. just uh encompassed me just swirled around me and as much as i could and keep going and recuperating i always had this around me mm -hmm. and i wanted it to go away and in my mind, I wanted a goal. I wanted to reach something. And I thought, when I get there, life will be better. Things will be better. So in my head, I saw a little, a little island. And it had one palm tree and one little chair in the sand. And it was pretty far away from me. It was rather small. And I remember I would take baby steps to get to my little island Aww. and it took months what a clever idea months. what a wonderful idea and as you? i was taking mm -hmm. as i took steps i looked behind me and this black ball of, of just nasty was a couple steps behind me now it wasn't around me it wasn't in me 
And it took me forever to reach my little island. And Aww. when I did, and I turned around to sit down in my sand chair and put my toes in that sand, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see anything in front of me that was nasty or ugly. It was, it was gone. Well, I it think was gone. And now, uh, I think you're an absolute, uh, oh, I don't know, icon for women to really look up to in my uh, my eyes, Kim, I tell you. Uh, do Do you... I know you've been interviewed many, many times by various media. Um, do you get invited to go and, and speak at all? Do you address groups and women? I uh, was fortunate enough to be able to do um, just a couple. I've uh, talked at like three um, three uh, groups that I was invited to before the pandemic came. All right. So I have not been to anyone uh I love doing that. I love the one-on-one and, and talking to people and then coming up afterwards and talking to me. Mm-hmm. The biggest one I did was last year. It was Crime Con 19, which uh-huh. was like a comic con, but it was Crime Con. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I did an episode where I talked about Anne Rule. To back up a little bit, one of the things I did to help also to heal me was I wanted to learn about this monster that attacked me mm-hmm. and he had his name and his name was Ted Bundy. So he was human at some point. And it was important to me to read and to learn as much as I could about the so-called human part of him mm-hmm. so that he wasn't going to always be a monster to me. He was, he was going to be horrible, but it was a human that did this. It wasn't, it wasn't, a devil other than what was in him. So I learned about him and he was so manipulative. He would tell people what he wanted them to see. And then at night he'd turn around and be just psychotic and vicious. Mm -hmm. And it was, it did me good. I think it helped heal me to see the two parts of him and to know one thing that one person isn't just the evil. It's two pieces of them that make Mm -hmm. a whole. Do you, so um... I talked Go on. I talked about Anne who was the first book I read um, after. Actually, she was sitting in the trial, in the courtroom during the trial. She wrote the book, Stranger Beside Me, uh-huh. and I read it. And that was the first thing that started into me wanting to know more about him. So that's what started my quest of um, learning who and what he was. Ted Bundy tried to take me on his journey of, of killing and manipulating and of uh, just his journey of evil. Mm, and I wasn't going to let him. I wasn't, I wasn't going to take his journey. I ended up taking it to be my journey. And my journey has been wonderful since then. Mm. I've gone through things, but there's so much more in between that has been wonderful for me. Kathy, can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you forgive him? No, I do not. I can honestly say, and I'm a Christian, I do not forgive what he did. He mm-hmm. he did what he did. He had foresight and thought, and he knew what he was doing. Yes. And he killed so many women, and, and Margaret and Lisa. And again, I go back to the other victims that hurt me inside, and I can't forgive him for any of that. I can't. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, I don't, wow. Who could, Jim? Oh, monster. It'd be difficult. Kathy, it's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. Uh, of course, your story is going to be on our channel on the Tucson Business Radio X network. It's be right here. It'll stay up for a long time. There's a picture of you as well. We're very, very grateful that you gave us the time and effort. In only our second episode of the series, we've got some incredible stories coming up over the ensuing months, but... Uh, it took a lot of guts for you today, and I mean, survivor of lupus, cancer, and the horrific uh, Ted Bundy attack. Uh, and life is now going to be kind to you, and you're happily married. Yes, I yes, I ride motorcycles and go sailing, and you know, I used to say you have to run really, really fast and jump <laughs> the next hurdle that God's going to put in front of you. But as I'm getting older, I'm like, got to walk really fast and look around the hurdle. <laughs> Because there's always something good back there. Uh, so it's all relative, but I keep looking for the better thing that's going to come around the corner. And let's give a bit of credit where it's due. Your husband, he must be a heck of a guy. Yes, he is. I knew him also from high school in theater. 
So we go way back when uh, we both married the wrong people. And when we uh, got up again together, it was, it's been great. One of my chemos was actually when I had the breast cancer was during on my birthday and he picked me up and he had a, a corsage for my wrist Aww. and I got to the clinic and there were balloons and flowers everywhere on oh, my lovely. little chair that I sat in. Aww. And he has just done so much to, to help me with everything and anything I've been through. He's been my rock. Unbelievable. Well, Kim, you want to say goodbye? Kathy, thank you so much for doing this interview. It means a lot to me. And, um, boy, I love talking to you. So I know we've got uh, girl time to catch up on down the road. But I'm just so thankful that you're sharing the story and that um, I know you're looking to to help save someone else's life just by discussing something so personal. Um, So thank you. Thanks for being our guest. Thank you for inviting me, guys. I'm so so honored that you wanted to talk to me and I appreciate it so oh, much. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye what, Kathy. What, what, a, what an amazing woman, Kim. I, oh. I, 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 I had some tears here for a moment. Here. Oh, well, it just, it's gut, it's gut-wrenching. You know, you know, I lived in, I lived in several of the states where he left a trail really? of, yeah. Uh, yeah, Washington, Idaho, Colorado. Where was this dude from originally? Uh, he, Deco- well, he lived in D- Tacoma, Washington, and I actually lived in Tacoma at one right, point right. in my life, but, um, yeah, he, he unbelievable, really, absolutely uh, unbelievable. And I, I do believe, actually, as I in in my things over here, that um, we have no clue how many women he actually killed. Um, so there's still missing cases, aren't there? I, there are cold cases, and and mm-hmm. actually, um, I'm very, kind of very interested in it, especially in my area of Spokane, Washington. But yeah, chilling story. Can't believe she that we were able to uh, have her share that. We've us. got some fascinating people coming up on Women Under the Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a, l- a fraction, a little bit about Women Under the Sun. It's goal and uh, what you've got going and newsletters and so on, just just to let people know uh, behind the scenes a little. Well, COVID stopped us cold, so to speak, um, but uh, with some um, downtime and a little bit of thinking and keeping in contact with our great uh, women, women leaders in the community, f- become dear friends and we even have a sprinkle of guys that kind of help play our security (laughs) but um basically just we've all coming back as businesses and you know coming up like new grass and having to be creative with uh the way that we do things differently so here i am sitting with you mark i'm thoroughly Um, enjoying i'm looking forward to these wonderful uh, people we're going to meet down the track sharing their incredible stories because they they do good for other people yeah, and we've got them coming from all over the country. That's uh, amazing. We have several, several uh, guests coming up. We hope you enjoyed it, wherever you may be listening uh, to this show, Women Under the Sun. You could hear it. It's always on the Tucson Business Radio X channel. It's uh, com, And you can listen to it on your phone, in the car, wherever, uh, on some uh, platform, perhaps anywhere around the world. And if you'd love to uh, send a note to us, by all means, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, just go uh, just go online there and go to the site and you'll be able to see uh, some contact for us and so on. Thanks again, and we'll see you again for another Woods Bye, Kim. Bye. Join us again, won't you, on the Business Radio X Network for another inspiring Women Under the Sun.